guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have one of my favorite automotive heroes on the show today. Mike Burroughs is on. That's the right. founder of Stanceworks and Proto Machine, which is a fabrication shop that just builds kick-ass shit. Yeah. As, awesome. as quoted. Hot rods, SEMA show cars, it's, awesome stuff. And uh, take your car to them. They'll build you whatever you want, which... I think is absolutely amazing. And uh, we, the interview is great. We talk a little bit about how the collaboration might work. And we're also going to talk a lot about uh, off-roading. That's right. Which is something that I'm fantasizing about all the time. <laughs> I was going to look at new, as you guys know, I was looking at new, uh, what are they called? The Forerunners. Okay. Yeah, I wanted a new Forerunner so bad I couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized there were $40,000 and I was out. But I'm still like on this you know, the Suzuki Swift with a TDI swap train okay. that I think would be really cool if you could get a white one that looks like a, like a paper cup with the blue like things on the side. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That would be, would be really awesome. Um, we also got some project updates for you. I've been we working do. on the car lock. Jake's been doing some stuff. But before that, what have we got? Yeah, let's hear a quick word about our sponsor, Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with industry-leading customer service. They also have their world-class line of hand tools that they just released the U.S. market, and they're German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. And as we say, these are the real deal. They are basically your professional-grade shop supplies. Yeah, and I'm going to be using some of their stuff when I put my car back together, whether it's the coatings. Uh, they have something called Schutz. Yep. which is the correct undercoating for the car. Because it's all German. It's so, all of German. course, it's correct yep. for the 911. So, it's, it's gray Schutz is what goes on my car. Sure. So, I'm going to cover everything with that so you can't see all the mistakes that I made. Yep. It's going to be so great. Head so, head over to worthusa.com <laughs> to check out all their products. You can also get in touch with our guy, Andy, and he'll hook you up as well. So, speaking of mistakes that I've made. Uh-oh. So, I've gotten quite a ways into my car. I noticed. All, I'm moving. So, this is, you were like, oh, you're never going to get this thing done. Ever, ever, ever. You're never going to get done. You're never going to get done by You reached the point now where you're done cutting things apart. Yeah, the destruction process is over. We are yes. now on to the creative process. Which I love. Uh, your wife posted a little story of your daughter, and your daughter <laughs> sticks her head out in the garage, and she comes back and goes, he says he's both breaking and fixing his car. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. much the truth. Yeah. That are is you breaking the, or are you fixing your gotta, car, We got to break it before we can fix it. I like and, it. And uh, so all of the rust is gone now. That's gone. awesome. And I ran out of welding gas, so I'm at like a complete standstill <laughs> right now. But I've got the, I put the jig back in and I have the yep. rear control arm mounting point is welded in. It's awesome. in the right spot. So um, now I just have to kind of fit panels. I've got the fender and the inner fender and everything fitting really nice. Yep. The latch panel is exactly where it needs to be. Um, the inner fender is going to be kind. The uh, lower inner fender, which is another panel, is going to be kind of hard. It doesn't look like it lines up with the longitudinal. Okay, because these are reproduction stampings of right. these parts, and so they're not perfect. They're not perfect. They're not even close to perfect. <laughs> not, yeah, not, not even close. So, are you? What are you planning on doing? Are you going to try to pound them out? So, I thought as I would. Um, so, the longitudinal has to meet the inner fender. Right. What I thought I might do is weld both sides, yep. and then I can pound it in. Yeah. Is kind of what I thought I should do, or I can take it off the car and go over and beat on it and bring it back, right. put it on there, which is probably the the That's right probably way. Probably the correct the correct way, way to do yeah. it. The thing is, is I don't have like an anvil with a curved nose on it or anything. I can't just take something over there and beat on it and then take it over the car. I don't have the proper tools. I don't have a big, huge vice or anvil. So that makes it a little bit more difficult that I don't have a way to shape the metal. So it's kind of like bending and guessing. You know, Use the old stump method. I don't have a stump. You don't have a stump. I do not have a stump. All right, I will um, bring you a giant stump. Great. That will probably not help me very not much because it's a flat surface <laughs> that is going to do nothing for me. So I did make a mistake, okay. and it's kind of a bummer, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do to fix it. Um, I have a couple ideas. You tell me which one you think is going to work out best. So when I cut the inner fender off, yep. it is uh, – you you want about a, like a sixteenth of an inch gap for where you're welding right. when you yep. put the new one on. I have a little over a quarter inch gap on top, mm. and then it slivers down to the correct gap because okay. I didn't – the panel – I laid it over it and drew yeah. a line where I needed it to be, but it wasn't quite right. I sure. didn't do it right, and I didn't, and I cut off too much. Yeah. So I can either a, mm -hmm. I can cut a sliver off, mm -hmm. tack weld it on there, and then tack weld that to the other piece, or I can tack weld the old piece on, and then cut, and have uh, a little bit of extra. So tack the old piece back on, redraw the line, cut it again, and then put the other and put the new inner fender on. So either way, you're gonna have to basically patch. 
I a piece in there. I have to patch a piece in. Yes. Yeah. Because there is I a would, gap. I would probably just I would tack it to the new, the new metal. Just cut the sliver off and tack it on there. Yep. I just worry that it's going to be a quarter inch piece of metal, and I'm going to be, like, and it's going to just warp all over the place and become this total mm, disaster. I don't think so. That's where you put it in the vice. That's where you hold it with a vice, and your your vice acts as a heat sink as well, so it won't warp then. A vice? What do you mean? Oh, oh, you're saying take the sliver and weld it to the new piece. Yeah, that's why I said the, the new metal. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yep. That could that could work out great. So anyway, I've got... Are, are you also ordering a new fender for the other side? I did order a new fender for the other side, and I ordered a bunch of new seals, all new seals for the trunk, new seals for the headlights, yep. just all new rubber, which is going to probably make things harder because things get really stiff when they're all brand new rubber. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I put I put the hood on, and my fender on the right side, the 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 body line is perfect. It looks very good. It, it, it's way better. It used to be this bent mess, and it was just not good. Just this bent disaster. <laughs> so, do you know what's bad about this whole process? Now I'm looking at my car. Oh no! <laughs> and I look at like all the parts that you're doing, and I look, and I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> you know your lava flow you talked about, where it's just like terrible welding globules. Yeah, yeah. That's like all the way around where the guy did my front pan. It's like doesn't even doesn't even match up oh. in places. Well, can you just grind it down and and no, they're like you know how there's stampings in metal. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a part on the front where there's a stamping, and this guy just put like a flat piece over it. Like it doesn't even match the stamping. Oh, but I'm I see. not too worried about it right now. But it just made me. Do you like, love your car? Oh. Are you ever at the point where like I should just sell this and get something nicer? Are you in love with yeah, this thing? I don't know. You know, you're. No, I'm not always in love with it yet. No, not in no. love with it yet because you could always hit the eject button at any time. Oh, I certainly could. You could just eject and then get. But everything different. I'm doing is improving it, so it should improve the value as well. Yeah, I would think so. All right, so we've got Michael Burrows is calling in. Um, yeah, so Mike Burrows, as we mentioned before, he is basically the guy behind Stanceworks, which, and he has, in my opinion, Stanceworks really kickstarted the the internet based car enthusiast phenomenon. Because you had Stance Works come out, and then you had Canopy, and then you had a bunch of other websites sure. that came out. But they all kind of followed in the footsteps of, of Mike and Andrew, of course, sure. at Stance Works. Um, let's get on with our interview with Mike. Mr. Mike Burrows, man. How's it going? It's good. I'm busy over here, but it's good busy. It's uh, the last time we talked, we, we talked a lot about Stance and everything, but you were trying to just getting started out with proto machine and i kind of how's everything going what's the what's the new new going on over there you know things are going great we uh we just hit our one year mark uh in january uh and we're as busy as can be we've got all sorts of cool stuff going on uh we've kind of really started to find our groove um you know pretty much everything we're working on at this point is is custom race car fabrication and that's you know a huge part of what we set out to do um, and, and it's, it's a ton of fun. It's a lot of work, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm, I'm spinning all sorts of plates these days, but it's a good time. Yeah. I was actually sitting down thinking today. I'm like thinking about all the stuff you're doing at Proto Machine. Then I'm thinking about the events that you put on. And then I'm thinking about, you're still maintaining stance works and still posting good content there. And I'm like, man, this guy is working his ass off was the first thing that I thought. <laughs> it's something like that. There's, there's certainly not enough hours in the day and it, it seems like most days are, you know, a good day is a 12 hour day and, and a bad one stretches out to 16 or 18. So, um, but it's, it's one of those things you, you chase those dreams that you have and, and the sacrifices, uh, you know, prove themselves to be worthwhile. So can you hint at all what you're working on? Cause I've seen on, on the Stanceworks blog that you, you want to hint what you guys are working on. Can you give us a, just a little bit of a tint or a tease on what's going on over there? <laughs> the uh the secret project huh yeah the secret um, project <laughs> let's see uh i gotta decide <laughs> what i'm willing to put out there and the answer is not much um you know it's safe to say that it's gonna be uh my best creation yet it's gonna be riley's best creation yet uh it's exactly what you might mentally conjure when you imagine the two of us joining forces and building um, you know, the best so far, uh, it's got a, a bit of both of us in it. Um, and it's, it's going to be, you know, at the cost of sounding, uh, a bit conceited about it, it's going to be wild. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It will be at SEMA this year. Um, and you know, we're, we're gunning for it. It's going to take every spare hour between now and the beginning of November, uh, in order to pull it off. You know, it's, it's kind of one of those projects that, 
uh, is not only financially and labor intensive, but you know, every dollar you spend on it is, and every hour you spend on it is, is straight out of your own, you know, wallet and out of your own day. Um, so, you know, when, when you talk about spinning a lot of plates, you know, it's just another one to add to it. So Mike, is this secret build that you're going to, is this basically a show of what Proto Machine can do or is this exactly. client work or what, what really is this? No. So this is a, this is a personal vehicle. It's one that we own. Um, and, and this is essentially our way of showing the world exactly what we're here to do. Um, it, it's our way to show, uh, what our talents are and what we're capable of here at Proto Machine. Um, and so, you know, it, it's probably not the smartest business move to be secretive about what we're doing in that regard. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you know me or if you know Riley, you know, there's, there's something to be said about just showing up with it. Uh, and, and I think that's what we're, what we're going to do is we're, we're hoping to set, you know, the, the automotive aftermarket ablaze with, with what we've got going on here. Um, you know, we'll be, we'll be, you know, doing the competitions like Battle of the Builders and Gran Turismo Awards and things like that. And we're confident that, uh, you know, we're bringing something really special. Uh, it's guaranteed not on anyone's radar. It's not something that, you know, anybody's going to be expecting, I don't think, um, in, in terms of the, of the final product. But right. in terms of what you can expect it to kind of be made up of, I'm sure you can draw some some conclusions there. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be mental in every regard. So, well, I, no, I would expect no, no off, less off the self parts. That's for sure. So, how long do we have to wait? Remind me, when is SEMA? Um, it is. Last I looked, a few days ago, it's like 263 days away. So <laughs> <But> who's counting? <laughs> he's counting down. He's counting down. So, you've built a lot of cars. I mean, you started with you know, Rusty was this really long project. You had the E36, and you had the you know the 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 five series with the M5 stuff on it and everything like that. And you built those cars and you built them for you so you could use them. And now yeah. you're building a car for SEMA. What's what's the big difference between building a car for yourself and building it a car for an event like that? Um, well, so I guess it's an interesting question. Um, and, and I want to clarify so that there's not anything that's misconstrued. Um, because so often this concept of like, you know, quote unquote, building a car for yourself, uh, gets thrown around and I think misunderstood at times. Um, and so at its core, the car we're building here is entirely representative of us. I mean, this is what we are here to do and it's what we are interested in. Um, and it's, it's everything that we find, uh, worthwhile in a car and what we're chasing. You know, if somebody says, Hey, what do you want to do with your life? This car is representative of that. So it's very much for us. Um, but it, it is for SEMA in that, um, SEMA is a trade show. It's, it's the largest, you know, automotive trade show in the world. Uh, and we're there to show, um, you know, again, what our skill set is, what our expertise is, um, where our creativity lies, what our vision is, and things like that. And so it's certainly an attempt to make a statement in all of those arenas from, from fabrication to, um, you know, the creative side of it as well. You know, what is it that you're looking at? What does it mean? What can you derive from it? Is it cool? Coolness is the most important thing there is. So the whole thing, if you ask me, you know, like what's the point of a car if it isn't cool. Right. right. So, um, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of, it's a bit of both of those things simultaneously in terms of, you know, it's a car for us and for SEMA, you know, plenty of companies build something for SEMA and it's solely so people will talk about it or take pictures or it's solely to showcase a product or something like that. Um, but I think because the car is there to showcase us and who we are and what we do, uh, it exists in both. It's a, it's a Venn diagram that, that overlaps almost entirely. So, well, it's cool when you have just two people giving input on a project versus, like designed by committee, <laughs> designed by committee, which is what some of the stuff there is. It's just nothing kind of flows right. Nothing looks right. But, you know, the stuff that you guys are putting together, I'm sure will be will be awesome. Um, so you finished your Model A, right? That's done. And the truck before that had a BMW engine. It seems like there was this kind of shift between um, everything had to have something to do with BMW. Uh, is, was it hard to break that mold and move on and, you know, put like a coyote motor in your truck? 
Um, you know, truth be told, not really. Um, so it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't a hard choice to do. I knew going in this time, I didn't want a BMW engine in it because I don't want that to be my shtick. I don't want that to be, um, you know, what defines me. I mean, I, I am a BMW guy, but I'm not only a BMW guy. Um, and so I, I knew from the beginning this time around, it wasn't going to have a BMW engine. I didn't want, um, that kind of juxtaposition or duality to be a part of the, the takeaway from the car. That's not what I wanted anybody to walk away from it, uh, with as part of the car's identity, so to speak. Um, and, and because it's a Ford, it made sense to keep it a Ford. I mean, there's a, there's a thousand different options that you can go with, um, and I was pretty quick to know that it should be a Ford engine. And, and I weighed out a few options. You know, I think if I had had my choice, something like a Voodoo motor uh, from the GT350 would have been, you know, absolutely perfect. Um, but the Coyote is, is such a great platform at such a great price. The aftermarket's growing rapidly for it. Uh, and it, and it, and it seemed like a great way to bring modern technology and performance and power with a Ford badge on it, uh, to something, uh, like a, like a Ford hot rod. So what do you, what did you take from building those two trucks that you've brought to Proto Machine? What have you learned along the way that's been most valuable to you? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I think both trucks in their own right are, I guess, I, I, I think that they're, uh, kind of exercises in the creative side of car building. Um, you know, I am a fabricator, but I'm not the best fabricator by any measure. Um, there are so many guys out there that, that can, you know, fabricate circles around me, Riley included. Um, but for me, so much of, of building cars is about the creative process. And so I think that's what comprises most of both of those vehicles, especially the, the, uh, with the 31, the more recent Ford with the coyote in it. Um, you know, it, it, I, I, it is a hot rod, but it's not just a hot rod. Um, you know, it's not really meant to be any one kind of thing. There's so many different flavors and sources of inspiration pulled from different places to kind of make that car what it is. Um, and so there was a lot of creativity involved on my end in finding what exactly I wanted out of either of those trucks. I mean, the, the first truck is simple, uh, you know, at first glance, but there was certainly a challenge in figuring out how to get it where I wanted, where I, I wanted it to feel like a farm truck, you know, planted on the ground with a, with a different engine in it versus, you know, a rat rod or, you know, just a, a ton of different parts thrown together. I mean, it very, it was very much still, what felt like a 28 Ford pickup truck that just so happened to have a 740 V8 thrown into it. If I could just interject, um, I think one of the interesting things about the two trucks that you've built is generally when I look and I see old hot rods that people build, generally I look and go, I, I, I don't really care. That's just another one. But when I see yours, they are very unique and very special. And I think that really does um, – lend to the credence of the creative approach to building the trucks because some people go overboard they lose the plot and things get out of control true but i think you did a great job with those two well thank you yeah i, I mean i think that really kind of hits the nail on the head in terms of um you know there's a balance to be had and, and it's easy to go overboard and i think the hot rod world is certainly riddled with that on both ends of the spectrum you have guys taking vehicles that go to the grand national roadster show and they're they're perfect right but that's not what I'm here to do. That's not what is interesting to me. You know, if a client comes to me and says, Hey, I want a car that's perfect. Yeah, we can do that. But, uh, you know, these vehicles are representative of me and, and what my interests and tastes are. And, you know, I know where, um, you know, I don't want to use the term like cut corners, but I, I know where to give and where to take to get where I want to go. Um, and, and to yield the vehicle that is what I'm hoping for in the end. Uh, and so both, both trucks are very personal in, in that regard. Neither one of them are what, um, necessarily what I build for, you know, someone that walks through the door at Proto Machine and says, Hey, I want, uh, you know, it, it, they could damn near describe the truck. They could say, I want a 31 model a with a coyote and a blower and, you know, independent suspension and all this and that. And it would be, a, it'd be a different truck. 
Well, I think that's what's interesting is that one of the reasons why I think people will are are coming to you and will come to you is because they want that creative side on you, but they also want to collaborate with you and what they want and what they see. And I think that's what's going to lend a, uh, a lot of unique ideas that come up as time goes on. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it, it, kind of circling back around, it's it's about figuring out how to kind of reel in the creative side because there's a technical side to it too. It has to work. It has to function. It needs to, you know, it needs to be what the customer wants. At the end of the day, the customer has to get what they want or they're not going to be happy. Right. That's how this works. So um, figuring those things out and the hurdles that come with it. Um, and then, of course, both vehicles have offered a huge amount of, of learning in terms of fabricating and, and bettering my skill set. I mean, that's probably the first and foremost part of the whole thing. Is, How do you, you overcome know, you, the frustration that you get when you, and this is something I'm struggling with my own projects is I, I get <laughs> frustrated. I'm like, damn it. I didn't do that. Right. I fucked it up and now I have to do it over again. Is it just, it's just part of the deal, right? It is. Uh, I mean, everyone makes mistakes and you, you kind of have to learn to embrace them or you have to learn to, you know, love the process of going back and doing it again until you're happy with it. Um, I look at, I look at, you know, the current model a and, there's a ton of stuff I'm unhappy with. There's, t- I, if I were to start all over, it would be wildly different. That's not to say I have any regrets about it. I don't have any at all. But each each step that you take, uh, you're able to turn around and look at the you know the footprint you left, so to speak, and you can learn a lot from those. And so both builds represent that. And I think you'll find on your projects as well. You know, you're going to finish your your front end replacement on the Porsche. And you're going to look back and you're going to say if I were going to do this again, it would come out differently because I've learned so much just in the process of doing it once. And, and, and that's kind of the growth of an automotive builder as a whole, I think. I think so too. And I think it becomes this when, especially when you build something like you did your model a, which I I've never done anything like that. I've done like the Mark one and stuff like that, but it becomes this stream of consciousness where the car just becomes this story of your progression. And as you look back, of course you would do things differently, but you can't change the stream of consciousness that you had when you were building the car. Exactly. Exactly. So moving on to the off-road stuff, which is, I'm so uneducated on this. So you have to apologize if I make any mistakes. He has to apologize. You have to apologize. I have to apologize. I have to apologize. (laughs) But there's a question I want to ask because I think the transition is really, really interesting going from, you know, building things like Rusty and being really, really involved in this dance works community and, you know, low as a lifestyle and all this stuff, cars dragging around, air ride. All of a sudden you're building an FJ. And you're going off-roading. Where did this transition come from and why? What happened? You know, it's a, it's a fair question. Um, and I think the answer for me is is it really just instantly became another way to, to spend time with cars or trucks in this case. Um, especially once you've built it, you get to go out and enjoy it uh, and the outdoors at the same time, you know, it's really tough to do that in a car unless you're on a road trip, like you did where you go from, you know, California, uh, you know, back to the, to the Midwest, but, um, you know, you can hop in a truck and go out and, and, you know, explore the outdoors and, you know, see sites and, and visit new places and all this and that, uh, and any way to add more enjoyment to cars as a whole is something that is pretty easy to sell me on. So, uh, I'm always looking for new things to try and, and it kind of clicked one day and it's like, why don't, why don't you do the truck thing? There's not a reason not to do that. So how'd you end um, up with the FJ? What was the train of thought there? Um, you know, truth be told, I didn't really think that I would have gotten to buy, uh, a 60 series Land Cruiser at first. You know, they were not expensive when I got my first one, um, but more expensive than kind of what I wanted to spend. I mean, at this point, that was, you know, six or I think six or seven years ago or something like that, but um, maybe six years ago. And I I happened to come across one as I was looking for, you know, Monteros and Isuzu Troopers and things like that and happened to find a FJ62 and and the price was right. And it was literally next door to the shop. So I I wandered over and... uh, you know, one street down and there it was. And I snagged it and, and really enjoyed my time with it. I, I drove it around for quite some time and you know, it got stolen and then recovered. And then, uh, and then I let a buddy was, he was driving and it got totaled and put it back together. And I finally realized, all right, I really like this platform. Maybe it's a little but, bit bad luck. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely some bad luck. Um, and so I figured, all right, well, let's, instead of investing money into this one, 
let's find the right one. And so I put the hunt on for a tan 60 series. That was my requirement. And it had to be rust free. Everything else I didn't care about. I didn't care if it ran, you know, anything like that. It's just, it's got to be rust free. It's got to be tan. It's got to be a 60 series. Rust is such a bitch, man. It's such a time suck. It just, it's brutal. Especially considering 60 series trucks rust from the top down. Their roofs rust off first. It's the worst design. (laughs) Weird. Um, but I found one, uh, and I, I brought it back and the 60 series engines are reliable, but totally, you know, way too sleepy for their own good. I mean, going up any type of hill is a way under the speed limit affair. Uh, so I knew going in, it was like, all right, let's, let's put a V8. And so I chose a six liter LS and then kind of all of the supporting bits and pieces that needed to go with it and, and had myself what was a really great truck for quite a few years. And you had a bunch of people trying to buy that for you for quite some time before you ended up selling it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. Um, <laughs> every, everyone sees, seems to love them. Um, you know, it's a very popular truck. I managed to snag them right before they kind of exploded as what I call kind of like the 911 of the off-road world where it's this really classic romanticized truck. It's kind of the best looking it's got the history and the heritage. Um, I really think there's a lot of parallels for what kind of a 60 series or just kind of the Land Cruiser platform is in the world of classic trucks to what the 911 is to the world of sports cars. It's kind of the quintessential one. Um, and, and they've both received similar fates. I mean, the, the, the Porsche market has exploded, as I know you know. Uh, and, and the, the land cruiser market has as well. I mean, it's, it's tough to get into a 60 series at this point for, you know, under 10 grand. Yeah. You basically have to accept rust if you want one at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so, you know, I was lucky I, I got in before the curve, uh, and got to ride it up. Um, and you know, I, I, I built a really fun, capable, reliable truck that I drove every day for three years. Uh, and then I kind of knew it was time to, to go on to something else. Yeah, so you, you, you I, took uh, the, the fairly ostentatious route. What what is what is this H one? Why? What's what's going on? Uh, it's kind of one of those childhood dream vehicles, as as cheesy as it sounds. Yeah. Um, one of <laughs> one of my earliest automotive memories at all is. Uh, my stepfather is, uh, or was an automotive journalist for a long time. He was the host of car and driver television and motor trend television, uh, you know, back in the nineties and and early two thousands when I was a kid. Um, and, and that meant we had a lot of, uh, fleet vehicles coming and going to the house. And and one time he showed up at school in a Hummer H1 and picked me up. And of course that made me the coolest kid as a kid uh, that must, it must have seen huge because everything is oh, enormous. When you're oh. a kid. That must've just been incredible. Yeah. I mean, being in the car rider line as a, I don't know what third grader or something like that and getting picked up in a Hummer H1 <laughs> was a defining moment. And then we get to, we, we get to the house and my parents driveway is this long kind of windy driveway that goes up and, and through the woods kind of twists and turns and, and there's a, there's a, at the time there was a, a power line, uh, relief kind of cut straight up the hill. They're up on the top of this real big hill. And, uh, so for power to get up to the house, they had cut kind of this just channel that went straight up the hill and you couldn't really, I mean, you couldn't reasonably take any vehicle up it or so I had thought prior to this point. <laughs> um, but we pull into the driveway and, and my stepdad said, well, how about this? And, and, you know, threw it in the four low drove straight through the front yard and then just plowed his way straight up this hill. It's rocky. It's steep, uh, straight through the woods. You know, you get to the top and you're just about standing the truck up on end and then just cruises right on over the hill and into the driveway at the top. And it was just this wild moment. It was kind of, you know, one of those things you remember forever. It was so cool. And ever since the Hummer H1 has just kind of been one of those things that, um, you know, it's a, it's a childhood favorite. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I didn't ever have a poster on my wall, but we can say it for intents and purposes. Um, I think every, and, everyone at one point when they were a kid thought that was cool. I mean, there's, like, yeah. they just are, they're just cool. So that was, that was kind of the motivator. And, and when I had realized kind of what 60 series trucks were going for, I thought, well, maybe I can shoot for the moon and, and, 
if I can get out of this thing with enough to buy a Hummer H1, I'll do it. And so I, uh, I listed the Land Cruiser for sale and I had a ton of people reach out immediately. I probably could have listed it for even more, or I know I could have at this point, it sold almost immediately. Um, but that, that gave me the money to go pick up. I, I bought a 99, uh, H1 6.5 turbo diesel wagon, uh, in black. Uh, I kind of had a checklist of all the things that I wanted out of an H1. Cause there's, you know, all sorts of model year changes and things like that. So I wanted the, the monsoon stereo that's, you know, louder than anything on earth. And <laughs> I wanted the, the, four speed transmission and I wanted the, you know, 97 and a half AC upgrade. And I wanted the, you know, quieter running gear and the, the, um, the sound ending on the inside and things like that. And I found a truck that checked every single box and I lucked out. So how much, how different is that thing from like military surplus? Like how far apart are they? They're, they're completely different vehicles from an experience standpoint. So underneath they're the same. I mean, it's not, uh, I mean the, the Hummer H one and the Humvee are identical underneath in terms of, you know, their, their components and and what have you. Um, and so the H one is, I mean, when you're in, it's very clearly a military vehicle that some, you know, people sat around and said, well, we could sell this and, and put an interior in it. Um, but with that said, the, the refinement is substantially different. I mean, with a Humvee, uh, there is no interior at all. I mean, there's not so much as a cloth or leather wrapped anything. The seats are like basically pads that you sit on. I mean, it's just, it's the most barren Spartan, you know, built for war machine. It looks like the inside of a tank. Um, and you know, I mean like the instrumentation is bare bones and they have, uh, pretty much no electronics at all. No, you know, there's no air conditioning. There's no sounds unbearable. Um, and so you're, (laughs) you're really talking about, um, I mean, the Humvees are, are military surplus vehicles through and through. Right. Right. Uh, and, and the H ones you wind up with, you can get them with a four speed transmission so they can go over 55 miles an hour. And you get things like a radio and air conditioning and sound deadening and an interior. And I mean, the, the best analog is, you know, take any vehicle you want to name of any level of luxury. Um, you know, I mean, take a, take a 99 Suburban uh, and strip everything out of it and take away literally every single amenity and then make it ride like a dump truck, make it (laughs) slow as hell, um, so on and so forth, and see how much you'd enjoy driving it around. It would be just, it'd it'd make you want to blow your brains out. So um, that's really kind of the the main difference. The H1 really is a a civilized vehicle to drive around. I don't mind it at all. Really the only kind of thing that I could complain about at this point is it's just, it's really loud. And I have one with the kind of the, the final rendition of the sound deadening. Um, and it's still, it's a very loud vehicle inside because you're sitting right next to the engine, which is a V8 turbo diesel. And, and, uh, and it's got geared hubs and, you know, stock 37 inch military tires on it that make Jake all is over here, just nodding his head up and yeah. down and up and down. He's got a, <laughs> he's got an H three T. Is what is okay, what, okay. It, but but it's a manual, which which makes it. That's the only reason I bought that it's truck. Slightly more acceptable because it's a manual. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, what are some of the things you know now about off roading that you wish you would have known when you started, as somebody that was just getting into it? Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, truth be told, is is you you'd always be surprised what your vehicle is capable of. You don't need anything crazy to go out and see some incredible places and conquer some in- impressive obstacles. Um, you don't need an H1. I don't need an H1. An H1 is going to go way more places than I need it to go. I bought it cause I think it's fucking cool. Um, <laughs> but you know, I have, you know, for example, I, I took my, my 60 series land cruiser, which has a V8 and 34s and lockers and all sorts of stuff. Um, and you know, a good buddy of mine has an Xterra with a slight lift and a factory rear, rear locker. And it went everywhere. My truck 
was capable of going on all of the adventures we did through Utah and Colorado and things like that. I mean, it's, it's incredible what a vehicle is capable of with just some of the basics. That's really all you need. Um, in that vein, what is important to look at when you're looking at your first truck? What are some of the, the main rules that you think exist? Um, I mean, make sure you're starting with something with aftermarket support. Um, you know, it's easy to find, you know, some esoteric four-wheel drive something or other. Um, you know, for example, there's all sorts of four-wheel drive Jeeps um, that are just absolutely garbage off-road because they have, you know, like open transfer cases and things like that. Um, so make sure you make sure you know what you're getting. Um, and then I think the main thing is, is just kind of learn how to drive, you know, it's, it's learn how to overcome the obstacles. There's more to it than just going throttle down and trying to power over stuff. That's not really how it works. You don't it looks like it on TV. (laughs) That would be my strategy. (laughs) You don't, you don't need horsepower to go off roading unless you're going to go rock bouncing or pre-running. I mean, you know, you can go out there with, you know, a four cylinder something or other. And, I imagine and, like, I'm always looking at Suzuki Samurais. I just, exactly, I love perfect. those yeah. things. Um, you can go out there with that. And because your transfer case has low range, you're making a ton of torque at the wheels and it's torque. That's going to, you know, get it to climb over things. Um, you know, I mean the, for, for example, the Hummer is incredibly slow and I have a turbo diesel one, which is the, almost the fastest one you can get aside from the 2006 H one alpha, which came with a Duramax and they go for like 150 grand, which none of us have the money for. Um, but I mean, it's still just impressively slow. It is an absolute dog. (laughs) What does it weigh? It must weigh like 7,500 pounds. Oh, a bit more than that. It's like, (laughs) um, so it's, but it's fine. You don't you don't need the power to go do those types of things. You know, and the engine and pretty much anything is isn't going to be um, the make or break point of it. Uh, the most important aspects would be you know uh, a, making sure that the center differential is locked. It should be most off road vehicles are by default, um, or it will be lockable at least. And then I think the most, in, in my limited experience, I'm not an off-road pro. I just do this for fun. But uh, I would say the most bang for the buck you can get out of any mod, aside from, you know, tires, tires make a huge difference, is is a locking rear differential. It, it really changes the, 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 the capability of any vehicle. Um, it, it really allows you to change the game in terms of, the kind of stuff that's going to get you stuck versus not. So you say that uh, you want to make sure that a truck has some aftermarket support. When you get something, what are a couple of things that you're going to change right away? I mean, you know, there's, there's things like a lift kit. Um, that's kind of the place where everybody starts is a, is a lift and tires. Ground clearance is, is a requirement to, to, you know, get over, you know, anything bigger than, you know, small rocks and what have you. Uh, tires, you want to make sure that, whatever you're toying with can fit a tire that plenty of vehicles just won't turn once you put bigger tires on them or they won't clear the fenders or you just got to lift them so much because of the shape of the fender or what have you. Um, so, you know, accounting for those types of things. Um, and another big one, honestly, this is, this is kind of falls into both categories is onboard air. A lot of guys don't realize that airing down your tires, the second you leave the pavement is, it's a must. The the first time you do it and you drop your tire pressures to, you know, 15 PSI or so, it's, it's like, it's, it's like riding in a Cadillac comparatively. I mean, a 60 series, you know, solid axle truck with leaf springs rides terribly. It's, it's not a good riding vehicle, especially off-road there. They'll rattle your teeth out of your skull. You lower the tire pressures down to 15 PSI and suddenly everything is, is far more bearable. Uh, it really changes the experience and it gives you a lot more attraction. Um, and so having onboard air so you can air back up, it, it should be honestly the first thing anybody does is, is buying a compressor or something like an ARB compressor that you can wire into the truck and, and use whenever you need it. Uh, that, that's a must-have. So have you run into uh, any uh, sketchy or perilous situations where you're like, whoa, where you get out of the truck, you're like, I'm not how I'm, don't know how I'm going to get over this or anything that seems scary? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of situations where 
Um, there's, you know, been within, you know, a few inches or a, a couple of degrees of, of losing a truck. And I think that's kind of part of it. And it's not something that, you know, I particularly enjoy, you know, I don't, I don't like getting tippy. I have like a, a low, um, threshold for when I start to get uncomfortable, but when you're with people with experience, you kind of learn, you know, where you can push and where you can't and things like that. Um, you have to I imagine mean, that know, challenge of knowing that that can happen as part of the rush of it and the part of what makes it fun, right? Yeah, certainly. And and as soon as you make it through, uh, then it's it's a rush. It's an adrenaline rush. But in the moment, uh, there have been plenty of situations where I, it's just the only thing coming out of your mouth is screaming f bombs. <laughs> so, um, and I mean, the first time I took the H one out, I, I I found myself there. I, I took it up to Big Bear in the, uh, in the, in the snow and ice, um, and found myself kind of perched on a mountainside with rocks underneath me that had, you know, been completely coated in ice. The truck was just, anytime I applied any throttle whatsoever, it would, it would try to crab walk off the side of the mountain. And, and it was, uh, I mean, it was terrifying. I was sitting here thinking like, what have I gotten myself into? Oh my God. Fuck. But, <laughs> You get through it. I, I wound up, you know, I, the truck didn't come with a winch controller. And so I'm sitting here. All right. I need to, I need to anchor to something and try to pull myself through this. And, and of course, um, you know, I, I have no way to operate it. Whoever wound the winch back up in the day, you know, bound it all up. It wasn't well wound. Um, but I started pulling the front end apart and got it undone. And then I took a pair of eyeglass screwdrivers that I had and jammed them into the winch port and then used some jumper cables and a battery to kind of control the, <laughs> uh, and then, and then had, had my buddy Andrew sit in the passenger seat and said, all right, when I say go touch the jumper cables together and it'll start the winch and then we'll go. And we made it through. It was a blast. Um, and, and those are the kind of moments that in retrospect are, are what make so much of the, you know, off-roading activity so much fun there's a lot of figure it out as you go type of thing is is what you're saying oh yeah oh yeah and and you know i think everybody's kind of been in a situation once you do it long enough where you got to have a buddy hanging on the side of your truck or it's going to tip over or what have you and it's terrifying in the moment it's the worst but at the same time <laughs> it's it's a blast it's, it's it's why you go out and do it because once you conquer an obstacle, then, then, you know, it's, it's that feeling of success. And in the first Sounds place, like I some took bad girlfriends I've had in the past. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. That's very fair. So, um, where's your favorite place that you've gone so far? Where's some place that you're going to go back to for sure? Um, you know, there's a lot of places that I want to go yet before I'm ready to kind of go back, uh, and re-experience things. Um, our, our trip, Last year to Colorado, we did, I want to say it was like 12 days of you know, pretty much all off-road and, and camping every night. Um, and it was it was amazing. We saw all sorts of incredible sights and found ourselves perched on mountainsides and then took our way down into Utah, into the desert. And the year before, we did, you know, 10 days in the Utah desert and, and saw amazing things there, too. It sounds like this year, if we kind of get our act together, we're hoping to maybe go um, up to Idaho or Wyoming, um, maybe even kind of over towards Oregon. Um, well, the cool thing is with a, with an H one, you can pretty much just go wherever you want. Yeah. That's the idea, uh, <laughs> at the, at the cost of a hell of a lot of fuel, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So on your, on your Instagram, we're going to, we're going to leave it with this. Um, you said rule number one, always look cool. Rule number two, yep. always have a faster car than the guy next to you. Rule number three if you ain't fast, refer to rule number one. And my question is, what makes a car cool to Mike Burroughs? You know, I wish I had some like really profound answer to this one, you know, make me sound like an automotive philosopher, but I don't, I don't have one. And interestingly enough, it's, it's a, it's a topic we've discussed heavily here at the shop and, and at Proto Machine, uh, because it's such an important part of what we do. And, and my, my simplest way of putting it is if I'm into it, the more I'm into it, the cooler it is. Um, and, you know, you make, sometimes you make sacrifices in the name of cool. Um, you know, you, you, you speak of rules one, two, and three, but counter to that is, you know, a slogan that I, I think my, my Instagram bio, you know, up until relatively recently was 
what good is going fast if you don't look good doing it? <laughs> you know, it's easy to have an ugly car that's fast, but that's not interesting to me. I don't, I don't, you know, I want to, I want to enjoy every facet of, of what I'm here to do and, and kind of going back to, you know, the creative aspect of cars, that's, that's a huge part of it for me. And I'm not afraid to say that, like, it's not all about performance for me. Uh, it's just about this all encompassing enjoyment from performance. I mean, going fast is a hell of a lot of fun. Blowing tires up is a great time. Uh, but it's not all there is. There's more to this hobby or, you know, this job than that for me. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy every aspect of cars, including, you know, things like aesthetics and the, the character behind these machines, um, the, the feelings that they leave you with or that you can impart upon other people simply by showing it to them. You know, I mean, anybody that looks at my Model A, for example, or at Rusty, leaves with uh, presumably a feeling that I wanted to impart upon them through, through that car. Um, and sometimes they take it negatively. Sometimes they receive it positively. Um, but anybody that, you know, for example, looks at the model a is going to see what I wanted them to see and, and, and walk away with that. Uh, and that's part of what I enjoy. Um, I think what's interesting about that is that you have, um, a tool, a machine that can impart emotion like that. I don't think there's any other, I mean, maybe, I mean, there may be a few other machines that are like that, but motoring and cars are very, very, very unique in that they have the ability to do that. They do. I, I mean, it's a very emotional uh, or emotionally tied thing for pretty much all of us. I mean, that's that's why we're here talking about it. That's why we do what we do, because cars are more than just a tool to us. Um, and I think that in and of itself is partially definitive um, for, for me in terms of, you know, you have you have car enthusiasts and I hate putting this into words cause it sounds, you know, conceited, but you have car enthusiasts and then you have guys that like truly, uh, entrench themselves in all things automotive. And it's all they do because it's everything to them. And, and I find myself in, in the latter group because, um, you know, to build cars like this or to, you know, spend every waking moment, doing something car related, you know, the media I consume is, is automotive. Um, my, my time off of work is spent doing automotive things. If I'm going to go to a car meet or if I'm going to go to the racetrack or if I'm going to go and spend time outdoors, it's with a vehicle, you know? And, and so there, there are certainly these hugely emotional aspects to this. And, and I think a huge part of that is what makes cars cool to me is, is when you can look at something and you can tell, um, the emotion someone else put into it or, or the effort or the energy or the excitement, the excitement is the most important part. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, when it, when it, for me, it becomes, it comes down to like, how is this person using it as a tool to make their life better or, or to feel happy and stuff like that. For me, it's out getting out and exploring. That's what kind of fa- makes me fantasize about the off-road stuff is as I've started to drive my car more and more and more and more and see new places and meet new people, that is what it's become about for me. But in order to do that, you have to build the machine first. <laughs> and then it becomes this, you know, cyclical relationship that you have with the car. Yeah, absolutely. So where can we find out more about Proto Machine, man? Where, where, where do we find it? Uh, I mean, we have a website, protomachine.com. We're on Instagram uh, at protomachine. Um, I mean, keep an eye out there and, and, you know, if for anybody interested in, in what we do beyond that, reach out to us or, or swing by the shop. I mean, we're here to build, uh, crazy shit. That's what we do. I, I love it. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Mike. Thank you guys for having me. You take care of yourself. Will do. Bye-bye. Always enjoy talking to Mike. Yeah. Many thanks to him. Watching his journey as stance works took off and seeing what he's doing now, um, I'm really excited to see what Proto Machine does. Him and Riley. They're I both, can't wait to see what this secret project is they're working on. It's the the quality and caliber of what they're doing is absolutely incredible. And and like you said, there's there's fabricators that are better or worse or whatever. But I think what's interesting 
is the projects that they're building are unique and special. Yeah. They there's have a lot of, of guys out there vision. building Model A's or T-Buckets or whatever, or they're they're going for like some Boyd Coddington style, like mm-hmm. weirdness going on. They're, they're all trying to hearken to a style, right? They all right. pick, well, I want to build a car in this style. But it's nice to see that in this in this day and age, it's really hard in almost any creative venture to, to do, do something original, to do something original, to do something unique. And it's cool to see guys out there pushing the envelope and doing that. So um, I'm really excited to see what they have uh, have going on. And uh, I guess we'll just have to wait for SEMA. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, before we let you go, we have to mention Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, magazines, you name it, and they send it right there to your doorstep each and every month. There is actually two levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first order. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you on Monday with the news. Take care.